Southern Ride Witch. And today I am taking a reprieve from the garden and resting a little bit. We have everything up now that I'm well, that I meant to do except for one thing. It's so funny. It's like going to the grocery store and uh, forgetting that one thing you really meant to get and getting all this other cool stuff. And that's what I've done. I forgot to get two things in particular, and I didn't save the seed from last year on those two things. So, oh well, I'm going to accept it and move on. But while I was out there this morning, you know, I still do have to water everything. And I was doing that this morning, and that's what I do with my morning coffee. Just get everything watered in. It's really hot here already in the day. And it just occurred to me how much I've learned from living this way. Pretty much what I've learned from farming, if that is the word we're going to call it, or midwifery of the land, whatever it is, this is what I've learned. All these ways to handle the rest of my life. You know, yesterday we were outside, my oldest son and me, and he said, wow, there's not that many weeds. And y'all know, usually that was like the brunt of our summer. That was the hard, hard part of gardening or farming was all of the weeding that had to be done, sometimes in 100 degree heat and definitely 80 to 90 percent humidity. And uh, while I'd heard that eventually through strictly organic processes that you could eventually get to a place where you don't have that much weeding to do anymore. I don't think I believed it. I don't think I did. You know, tilling the soil, turning it up, well, that usually tills up all those old seeds, you know, the things that may get in the way of what we want to grow and what we want to do and just constantly ripping at it. Well, that, that didn't really help. It also took away all the nutrition of the soil. And I don't want to bore you with that. I'll stop there. But even when we stopped and started using other methodologies, I mean, for years, we still had all of the what I guess we call weeds, right? And I'm not talking about dandelion. Down here in the deep south, we have wild blackberry vines that can go absolutely nutballs on your garden beds and rows. And it's tenacious. It really is. But not just that. There are other things as well. and they were taken over. And stay with me and I'll explain what that has to do with the craft or living or anything at all other than green beans. But after some time, and in fact this year is the most notable, the weeds just um, uh, gave up. They went away. We have finally pulled enough or I suppose smothered enough (laughs) with good compost and layering until the only thing that's really growing there anymore, except for the straggler or two, are indeed pumpkins and 
cucumbers and green beans and tomatoes, peppers, everything we wanted to grow is now going strong and there's hardly anything left to do on the weeding side of things. And you know, we ward against that kind of thing by using aged hay. If you can locate a farmer that does hay and has those big rolls and maybe has one that's been out there like a year or two and has really aged in the sun and no longer does anyone really want to buy that for their horses. That is gold. (laughs) Usually unsprayed because it is feed for horses. You can use that as mulch around all of your flowers, your vegetables, whatever you need. And I have not seen any real seed coming out of that. It's been, you know, aged in a field for a very long time. Now, I don't know where you live, but I know it's working out here that that is wonderful compost. Wonderful. And I reckon we use the more acidic pine needle mulch to go in between our beds. I really love the no-till movement, y'all. Because what it means is to add to the soil, build up your beds, and let, you know, the microecology of the ground become healthy again, become balanced again, and it takes care of itself after that quite a bit. I've used way less fertilizer, which is a good thing because organic fertilizer is crazy expensive, (laughs) but I don't have to use that as much anymore because of this new methodology. And you know, we have helpers. We we have that mulch I just discussed, but we also have mycelium that I offer to the ground. Uh, red wine cap is one of the best ones to do that in the heat, but I think our heat may be a little bit too much for it. Almond agaricus actually does do a wonderful job, and it helps to kind of rebuild those connective tissues that we've destroyed over and over in the name of growing something. It doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Yeah. Let me tell you why this story actually matters to me. For a very, very long time, I was not very good at holding boundaries. In fact, I I really sucked at it. (laughs) My childhood had taught me not to be able to do so, and it had almost ruined my life. And quite honestly, by the time I decided to hold a boundary or fight for a boundary, y'all, it was more aggressive. It was just a a bit of a throwdown to do so. You know, I'd already sat by and watched somebody cross them over and over until they were deep in the thicket. And by that point, I was ready to get rid of them. I was ready to till the shit out of that soil. (laughs) But there were things I could have been doing and put in place to keep that from ever happening. And this is one of the things that farming has taught me. It's taught me that when small things raise their little heads, most of us that have grown up in the deep south, I will tell you, at least everyone I've talked to, has a propensity to allow it. It just is less confrontational. We may attempt to gloss over it and pretend it's not happening, pretend it's not going to be that bad. Maybe it's a one-off that someone has invaded our space, has transgressed our boundaries, has manipulated or otherwise caused distress to where we live in 
we just tend to, you know, hope it goes away. (laughs) Not all of us, and not me anymore. But, you know, when you're raised in a place that, uh, number one, I suppose, uh, characteristic of how you're greeted down here is politeness and welcoming, we can get that confused as small children. We can. We can get confused about how nice and polite we need to be. And also in the past, I was, when I was younger, I was really big about thinking that I could talk them into being better people. (laughs) And that is very rare. (laughs) That is very rare indeed. And so, because I wouldn't pluck the weeds from my garden, because I would not attend to it and diligently It just continued to be an issue. One transgression may not seem like that much. How much damage can one weed do, right? Except if it's an invasive weed, it can flower. And it can drop all of its seeds on that ground. It has become part of your landscape. And it wasn't until I got very diligent with the pulling of weeds and assured that I was constantly at work. And it was painful work. It was sweat. It was toil. And I didn't go about it willy-nilly, of course. But I stopped assuming that a problem was going to resolve itself in my life. It wasn't. It was only going to compound. And in a situation like that, y'all, unless you can eat that weed... (laughs) Unless it can be food or nourishment for your soul, it needs to be pulled. But what took me a little longer to figure out was how to protect and ward my garden and, of course, the garden of my life from those wayward seeds. Mm-hmm. I already had, and I always will have, companion plants. Things that are helping to grow. That makes complete sense to me. And I hope that I can endeavor to be that in someone else's garden as well. But to assume that even though I had been very careful to call anything that was going to be damaging to something in my life, not warding it appropriately, watching out for the warning signs of things like that, that was a longer lesson for me. Let me give y'all a for instance. A long time ago, we did not have chamber bitter. And if you don't know what chamber bitter is, good for you. Go ahead and protect the hell out of your garden, honey. Assure it never gets in. This stuff is tenacious. Chamber bitter is also known as gripe weed. And I would say, yeah. Yeah, this is worth griping about. It's pretty much everywhere, but really invasive and really problematic in the Southeast. I think it's also known as little mimosa because they look like tiny mimosa trees, which by the way, are also super invasive in the deep South. Anyway, I'm not sure how I didn't have it on my land. Maybe it was growing along the periphery, but I never noticed it ever. It wasn't in any of my beds. It wasn't in our lawn. Of course, not much was here when we first moved here. And we kind of built this beautiful ecosystem out here in the woods. But what I did was I went and bought a bunch of pine bales from a source that I didn't know the farmer. 
I, I think it was at one of those hardware stores. And I got a bunch of it. And I put it all down around my roses and around my blueberry bushes and the pathways everywhere, you know, because it was, well, I thought, natural. We've already discussed how that's not always your only designation that you're looking for. You have to be better researchers than that. Either way, I brought chamber bitter to my land. We fight it until this very day. Where it grows, we have to do more mowing than I would like. I would especially like to not do that in the the spring when, you know, the pollinators need so much of that clover. We have to do micromanagement, specifically down in our strawberry patch, to assure that nobody ever gets big enough to make seeds. It's a real issue. I've almost eliminated it from the high tunnel and the other growing areas. It's almost fully eliminated. And I've done that by smothering it with compost and really good soil and also just constant maintenance to assure it doesn't get a foothold anywhere. But that's what I mean about warding. That was not thought out at all. That wasn't researched at all. And of course, you know, Nobody would really ever blame me for it. You know, go get pine straw bales and let's get everything all fixed up. Nobody would ever think twice about that unless they'd gone through something like this and went, oh, shit. (laughs) No. So now I get my pine straw from a person who goes to a lot of trouble and work in pine forest. And there's very little weed growth in those if they're dense. And then I leave my bales of pond to sit in the sun all summer. So there are extra steps here. There's a little bit more work involved. But I've always found that, yeah, prevention is better than trying to fix it later. And that one, while, you know, there's always a chance for something to fail, that one has made more difference just researching where I'm getting things from understanding what they can bring into my life and assuring that I don't let anything get past my attention. It's a lot of work, but it's worth it. So how does that operate in my daily life? How does that equate to witchcraft or keeping my life fairly warded? Well, I tell you, if you ward too hard, if you ward too long, and if you ward too deep, it is very possible that you won't get anything new in. Wards can be a little bit antithetical (laughs) to allowing new things to arrive. They have to be very specifically constructed, very well thought out. It's like I told you what back a long time ago, oh, over a hundred episodes ago, cleaning out your house and uh, cleansing it and warding it to, you know, the nth degree, you need to be careful because (laughs) um, I've heard of folks cleansing out the good with the bad and then locking her up so tight, nothing grows there again. I'm so sorry, but a very well-balanced house has a little bit of a defensive um, bacteria built into it that can help, well, 
guard and ward against invasive things that shouldn't be there in the first place. I think I've told y'all before that such a house reminds me of a very healthy vagina. (laughs) You strip too much bacteria out, uh, you may be looking at a yeast infection, and if you strip too much of that out, you could be looking at a bacterial one. pH balance, y'all. It does matter, and it matters across the globe. I can hear the wandering in my story, so let me attempt to draw it all together. What we do now is we are very careful where we're sourcing our wards, if you will, for the farm. The aged hay, the similarly treated pine, we understand those sources, they're tried and true. We take precautions with them as much as possible, knowing that if you're going to live, you're going to have to take a risk somewhere. And I will say that I did not know this lesson when I first started creating boundaries. I was so afraid of ever being, this is a long time ago, so don't y'all ride in and say, oh, poor baby. I kind of hate that anyway. Don't do that. I'm telling you my story. I'm okay. (laughs) I'm just sharing. But at first, what I did after being horribly hurt in 2014, 15, and 16 They were extraordinarily um, difficult years to get through. It was like a hurricane down here. And at first what I did was I closed the border completely, so to speak. You know, I didn't cleanse anything first. I just locked down house. (laughs) Emergency measures, I'm sure. But what that did was it left all the problems that had led to that. It left them right here in my house. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought I'd taken care of it, but I hadn't done a good enough job. There was too much of a knee-jerk reaction, and uh, the walls came down. And a lot got cleansed out of here that maybe shouldn't have been right away without any kind of thoughtful process. You know, it's fine. It was an emergency. I was in trauma. I don't respond like that anymore. Because now I understand that if my wards are too tight, nothing really good can get through either. It's back to that balance, isn't it? There has to be a little bit of risk involved or nothing can grow. So I do the best I can. I think about new friendships, for instance. I think about them and I'm careful with them. I take my time. I learn who they are. And uh, if something gets past me, Then I can decide, do I want to weed on those things? Do I want to speak to that person and talk to them about what I'm seeing as a potential issue? Or do I completely kick it out of my life? You know, I guess for the last 25 years, I have done something that has helped a lot. And now I do it all the time. Back then I did it some of the time. And that is if somebody offends me or hurts my feelings... I take a day or two to think about it. Did a button just get pushed? You know, did something get triggered? Did I not think through why I was getting upset about a thing? Because sometimes it wasn't meant to hurt me or injure me. And it wasn't even that careless. It was that I am particularly affected by something. From there, once I think that through... If that human being is important enough to me to keep in my life, 
I know now that my southern moorings to let things go or perhaps to be passive aggressive about it or to hope they would figure out what was wrong. I know none of that will work. So that's usually when I'll pick up the telephone and say, hey, you know, you didn't make, I would never say you made me feel this way. You put me in this kind of position. Instead, I say, I felt this way or, you know, because of who I am and what I've been through, this was a very tough spot for me to be in. And I work it out with them if I can. And occasionally what will happen, honey, is those people won't want to work it out. (laughs) They'll either get very offended that you were offended or they will go away on their own. And that is your easiest warding you've ever done. Accept it. It's a gift. Allow that to happen. And other times I see the pattern of behavior on the wall. You know, it's like chamber bitter. It has notoriously taken over landscapes. And if you're already feeding and watering and loving on the area that they're trying to grow in, say friendship, they will continue to drop their seeds and dig in even deeper. So we have to make decisions, don't we? And sometimes it can take years to eradicate such an infestation but it's worthy work. Again, if I weren't bringing anything in at all, any mulch or amendments, if I weren't bringing anything into my garden at all, there would be way less bounty in my life and in my harvest. So this is a risk. It always will be. And we need to, I guess, learn to deal with the outcome and the fallout. Personally, I no longer have a lot of that in my life. I'm so much more careful, but I am still open to experiences. And now, if I see something that has snuck its way past my ward, and my wards are incredibly light, they are. They're only there to defend against serious, malicious behavior because I do know the rules. <laughs> And the rules are, if you close the walls completely, nothing can come in. So, you know, there is a risk here. And that risk is a worthy one because I finally learned what to do with my trowel or my hoe. And I can care for that issue and move on knowing that I've learned from my mistakes. That's one thing my farm has taught me. But it's not only taught me in the way of plants. I have two wonderful Australian shepherds out back and they're getting older. Makes me very sad. And they've been just the best chicken guardians, y'all. They are so wonderful. If the chickens get out, though, the only issue is you've got to pay attention to their alert call. Or, you know, they run in circles around a chicken. They can thereby cause a heart attack in your chicken. (laughs) But your chicken's not getting anywhere. Anyway, they've been guarding those chickens for 10 years. A little bit over, I believe. And so they are a very important part of my farm and our work here. They are, in fact, a living ward, which I do believe in. I think I've discussed that in the past, that some of my trees have agreed to be, some of the plants on our property have agreed to be. You can have living wards, and they're really effective. So, you know. These girls are that. They have their job. 
But I've watched them, you know, from my window, I've watched them. We have a very lovely habitat back here. In fact, we're actually now a certified wildlife habitat, which means that we provide shelter and we provide water for all the living creatures and we're careful not to interfere in their processes. So our girls out back, sisters, by the way, have their condominium that my partner has built them. It's lovely. It's a nice interior, warm, heated room in the winter uh, with a little grass carpet in it and blankets and stuff. And then on the outside, it has a little front porch and it has a tin roof and it's right in the center so they can do all of their guardian work. But we lay out their food in the morning and it is just riveting to watch them because we have crows and we have blue jays, we have woodpeckers and everything, everything, Carolina wrens and cardinals and I could go on and on and on. And the girls allow these birds to take a certain amount every day of their dog food. I know, probably not the best food for any kind of bird. However, they allow it. I will watch Moonshine laying there. Her nose right up against her food bowl as bird after bird, species after species, alights, including squirrels. (laughs) And takes a bite. She would just lay there, cut her eyes over, look at it and go, okay, that one's all right. And then they will either fly off or scurry off. And she will allow each type of bird to take one or two. And I've watched it so often I can count on it that after she thinks they've had enough, that's when she stands up and says, that's it. She doesn't hurt anybody. She just stands up and barks at them and they fly away. But everyone is allowed to get their breakfast. Mm-hmm. And after that, business is closed. And you must go ahead and go find your seed out there. And, you know, I love it. Because to me, it's showing me boundary for her. She's done this for 10 years. I think that huge woodpecker that went down there, God bless America, that thing was probably a foot tall. It was so huge. And just sat beside her for a little while. And that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. Because I can allow my friends to take so much out of me. But I know where the limit is. And I know where to stop the bleeding. And honey, we all do it. If you have a friend out there, you've done it. I've done it. Where we need them. And we need to talk to them. And we need to have their comfort and their sustenance. But we also need to know where the line is. And we need to know how far we can go before it starts taking from them. And so my girls have also taught me boundaries and taught me wards. Of course, their ward is just a bit of a, well, they're guardians, you know, they're guardians of the backyard. (laughs) They're guardians for those chickens, but they're also guardians, you know, against everything else, possums. Rats, raccoons, hawks, who are never allowed to land, by the way. It's like they know they're predators. I love a hawk, though. So their wards are tight. Their wards also let certain things in. No ward should be a concrete wall. We still have living to do, y'all. 
And like my girls, I have kindness I can share. As long as that kindness doesn't turn into a smorgasbord. <laughs> the other night, I watched my baby. You know, my baby is 27 years old. I swear, y'all, I still see that little boy. I still, I don't care how big he is. I don't care how much hair he's got on his face. Yeah, I just nearly tear up thinking about him. He is always going to be my baby. But I watched him teach my grandbaby boundaries the other day. They were so sacred, these boundaries he was teaching her. Because it also helps her to learn her own, you know. And I took a video of it. We have so many fireflies or lightning bugs, whatever you want to call them. It's funny. I had a a New Jersey stepdad who was like my heart dad, and I was raised in the South. So I've called them both, use them interchangeably. And I've heard from so many of my friends that no longer see them anywhere. But my yard is lit up like a concert from 1975, honey. It's Pink Floyd out there. And they are everywhere. And my grandbaby is two and a half years old now, so she is old enough to start understanding things and has, a, I guess, a gift toward empathy. You don't usually see that in someone this young, but a seriously deep, empathetic way of looking at animals and creatures of the woods and trees and grass. It's amazing. Anyway, he let a lightning bug land on his hand. There's a certain way to do that and a way that you don't actually capture them. I taught my kids that when they were little and was showing it to her. And I zoomed in and I got the whole damn video and he was telling her, you know, they're lighting up their butts. So, you know, that, you know, they're bitter and you shouldn't eat them. (laughs) And he was saying to her, this is wonderful, honey, because this lightning bug knows we're not going to kill it. It feels safe to be on my hand right now. And don't, don't touch it. We have to be gentle and we have to be careful with this lightning bug because it has every right to be here, you know. Really teaching her the boundary of nature of being careful that just because it's here and we love it so much, we can't squish it to death. <laughs> that we have to understand that it is sacred. And she reached down and she grabbed a little clump of grass, y'all, and she tried to feed that lightning bug. <laughs> She kept on saying, I thought she was saying something else, but she was saying, eat, eat to the lightning bug. And then when it decided to fly away, instead of falling apart into tears, she waved bye. She also told it hi. She was like, hi, how are you? (laughs) When it flew away, she was like, bye, Dan, bye. And I love that she's learning these boundaries, but is still also able to, you know, let some things in. And I'm really grateful that the lightning bug let her in. You know, we don't talk a lot about boundaries of nature, and I think that that's a serious issue. If anyone's boundaries have been crossed and over and over and over, it is nature's. And her wards are there. Everything from poison ivy in a woods, which is actually meant to protect it, to great horrible changes that can actually hurt people. Her boundaries are there, but we don't tend to care or listen. Y'all, I've been watching this show alone. 
I'm watching it because I do enjoy seeing the great outdoors and I do enjoy watching survivalist stuff. But I keep on telling my partner, it's not really survivalist if you can hit a button. Okay. And it's not really survivalist unless you got stuck out there and you got flown in. You know, I don't think I'm going to walk away from the show. I'm not. I enjoy it too much, but it bothers me. When they kill something, when they live trap something that's scared and terrified, from my point of view, I'm looking at it like, you know, this bird or God, in one instance, a fox has survived this crazy wild terrain and weather only to be trapped by you, terrified out of its wits and made to be, I guess, sustenance for one more day on a TV show. Oh, God. Y'all, that gets to me. That gets to me. The problem with going so deep on my spiritual bushcrafting journey that I've done this year is that I'm even starting to see my bushcrafting as invasive. I may have to abandon ship. And bless my partner's heart, when we're watching one of these shows, he's like, well, they're starving. And I'm like, no, there's a button You push that button and you can go back home. They're doing it for the money. They're doing it to earn this cash prize. It's not the same. It's not. Just drives me insane. And he always asks me, well, what would you do? Just starve? And I'm like, I don't really have a problem with fishing. I don't. But these live traps, these, these, um, situations in which they're not dead immediately and they just suffer. And all, you know, all for the name of being able to say you built your skill set. Ugh, y'all. Well, I reckon not everybody is pagan. And y'all, that is why I started to back away from bushcrafting my witchcraft. If I can continue this year, and no, I haven't been talking about it too much. And that's because I wanted to write a book about it. If I'm going to continue, I've got to continue in a way that acknowledges the fact that I have a safe home that has electricity and food and light and anything that I'm doing out there that is destroying a tree, for instance, to create fire or disrupting a habitat, let's say for a wild rabbit because they are out there or squirrel or snakes or any of that ilk, just to get a book published, I'm not going to do it. Um, now I have to refocus. It may take me longer than the end of the year. And I'm so sorry, y'all. I have to refocus now to find a way to bushcraft my witchcraft for the year 2023. Because unless it is outright survival mode for my craft, I don't think some of the things that I'm considering or had been considering to do, I don't think those are fair. and. I don't know if I can any longer call them bushcraft. Anyway, I'll get back to you on that one. I will actually overthink things. I've got a doctorate in philosophy. I will overthink the shit out of it. But, you know, it all makes me remember, like, a long time ago, I was getting my master's degree. I don't know why I decided on early American literature, but I did. It probably had something to do with all the Native American literature I could read and and some of the history and stuff. But I was in the middle of a class 
And the lead on my master's degree, my committee, was teaching the course. And she went over this situation. I I don't even know where it is. I'm not going to do the research to find it. It upsets me too much. But she went over this situation where folks had settled on Native American sacred land, but had done so for a very long time, decades and decades, and had built up storefronts townships and homes and then discovered that they were on sacred Native American land on actually part of a reservation. And, you know, she presented the argument to us and, you know, most of the folks in the room were feeling really conflicted about it. I mean, they were conflicted, but primarily at the end of the day, they felt that the I'm going to put this in air quotes, landowners, these white folks. I mean, it was too bad and everything, but they should be allowed to keep what they had built. And I nearly got kicked out of the classroom because I was so enraged. And she said, would you really walk away? And I said, fuck yes, I would walk away. Yes, I would. First of all, we've talked about doing our research, y'all, haven't we? There seems to be a huge misstep here somewhere, and I haven't, you know, gone to look at the case in years, so it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, yes, I would have done my research, and yes, if I had still made a misstep, I would have left. I would have. I would have given it all back. Y'all, I have been accused of being a purist. I am one. It upsets me so much. No, I'm not going to move off you know, to Scotland, first of all, I have Native American ancestors, but second of all, I'm not sitting on a reservation. But if I found that I was, if I found that I was sitting on sacred land, and all of it is, but this particular tribe wanted it back and wanted it back immediately, would I stay? No. I would respect their boundary. So, I'm kind of a problem. I'm a problem witch child. I really am. I have a very strange and old and deep sense of nobility. And it has gotten in. (laughs) It has gotten me into more shit and shinola than anything else in my life. It really has. But it's the way I'm built. So, (laughs) wards. I ward my chickens. I ward the pollinators out here. I have been to battle before for them with the local electric co-op. I ward my neighbors off of the land if I think they're going to hurt anything that lives here. That includes my dogs. I ward against any outright aggression. I do my wards. And I reckon that I expect folks to honor them when they feel them, when they see them, when they bump up against them. And when they don't, I weed the living shit out of them because I don't think a ward is good enough. I don't think it's enough and I don't think it should be because it could keep all of the good from coming onto your land, life, property, heart. It can cleanse too much out. But at the end of the day, y'all, I still have my hoe, don't I? And my gardening gloves, I know what to do. And these are things I wish I'd known 20 years ago. Some of them 10 years ago, and all of it, pretty much, I've learned on a farm. All right, I reckon that's enough. 
I never know if I've said anything of worth until I work it out later in production, so I have no idea what I've said here. Speaking of words real quick, because we're friends and we're just going to talk, y'all. The armadillos are getting a little uppity out here, and I don't want to dispatch them. I don't want to. And so what we've done is we've put up tin, the metal, borders around our green beans and our pumpkins and stuff. And at first it looked like we weren't going to win that ball game. <laughs> ah, they were driving me crazy. But today they're doing wonderfully. I reckon it's a lot of work to crawl over that tin and it's sharp on top. So they kind of ease back and we're finally getting our food and you know, I found that it's really helpful to let some of the green beans grow over the line and some of the pumpkins go off into the woods because I know they want it. When my pear tree lets go of all of her fruit, I take what I need and the deer have a party out there. And that's fair. That's different. That's not, well, I kind of feel like if I warded against all of it, that I would hurt the natural ecology out here. So I share, <laughs> I share in my elderberry, I share in my salad greens, I share. And if they get a little too far, <laughs> I throw up a block. I guess it's all in the balance, but I'm done. I wanted to say one more thing about our sponsor, and I'm going to be saying something about it probably quite a lot this summer. Y'all, Hagcraft Farm has a brand new collection coming out. And the theme is divine. They've created a specifically southern coastal gothic collection. Think like pirate and merfolk and seafaring swamp hag of the lowlands. The colorways are going to be pride themed and jewel tones with a lot of smoky blacks and browns as well to really kick off that lowland pirate feel. It's a completely curated collection that will only be around for a few months. And y'all, my favorite thing that they do over there is their adventuring dress. It is so versatile. What's important to Highcraft Farm is that everything be like this. Everything have a serious usability and utility to it. And that's my favorite thing about this dress, y'all. It lays out flat like a blanket. And Leanne over at Highcraft really wants you to use it like that. <laughs> She's told me folks are so in love with their dresses and their cloaks and they don't want to do anything else with them but hang them in a pretty corner. That was not the intention of this. The quality and the wearability of what Highcraft Farm is making can be used, can be washed, can be rugged. They only get cooler. They only get more beautiful with wear. So go check out this collection as it hits, y'all. I wanted to also thank Christy and Erin for supporting the podcast. Thank you so much for joining the SFW family. And don't forget, that gives you the right to buy a ticket for the Bat Children Ball this October. So come over and check that out. Couldn't do it without y'all, honey. I'm out of here. Love y'all like chicken. Y'all keep those wards healthy. Make sure that the sunlight can still get in. Blessed be y'all. Y'all been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the Deep South.